Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. So, Lena is here. I am here. Uh, and we are... here. Um, okay so we had a we have one question that someone asked us on one of our youtube videos that we were going to start with and then we'll start going through all the questions that you're asking just go ahead and ask your questions in the comments or you can send us one of those little question doodly boppers the first question someone asked us was they said i've been in dbt for six months how do I know that I'm getting better? So Ooh. I'm going to send this to you, Lena. As a, <laughs> as a therapist, you probably have more specific things you can think of. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's a big question and it makes sense. Like, we want to know, like, am I getting better or am I just, like, treading water? Because um, I think what can happen, especially in DBT, is, you know, the way we look at, like, the stages of DBT, the first stage is just like learning how to survive because a lot of us with BPD have felt like we've been surviving for a long time, but we've really just been kind of drowning. Um, and so like the first stage in DBT is like learning how to tolerate distress. And what I always tell clients is like learning how to tolerate distress is helpful and it doesn't feel good. Uh, cause like actually knowing how to like just survive your emotions like doesn't feel like you're getting better so usually client like people will be like oh it's been six months and i still feel like shit. i think this isn't working sorry i'm cursing on live uh i'm really bad at that um <laughs> but you know i think what we have to keep in mind is that like uh you might be getting better you might just not be feeling better now how do we know if we're actually getting better uh, so that's why in like DBT, for example, or most therapists will have like, you have your goals for your treatment, you have your goals for your life. So are we making progress towards those, even if it's doesn't feel like it, even if we're making a little bit, then I'd say like, you're getting better. Is it going to feel like it? Probably not. But you'd be, you probably are maybe making more pro progress than you realize, because we just feel terrible. <laughs> Yeah, the having a like the treatment plan. That's like that's the word. Them, them's the words. The treatment plan. <laughs> I feel like that's one of those things that is really helpful because then when you have specific goals, it's like you check how you're doing against how you were before. If, you, if your if your therapist is like taking those notes, that's really helpful because then you could say, oh, you know, I still need to work on this or. Hey, I haven't even thought about this as a problem in weeks. So, hooray. Yeah, yeah totally. 
Okay. Oh, gosh. Someone says, what is your advice on losing an FP? My fiance died and I am lost with it all. Ooh. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm so sorry if you're lost. That is like, that's some, that's some heavy stuff. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts, Lena? So, I mean, losing a favorite person, I haven't been through it in a long time. Um, and I've never lost a favorite person to death. So I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That is probably one of the most traumatic things you can go through in life. So I'm so sorry. Um, I think what can be so hard is, yeah, we do feel really lost without a favorite person. Um, and so kind of similarly to, to what I was just saying, I think what's hard is, is that like those of us with BPD, especially, but like humans in general, we, uh, we tend to gauge how we're doing on how we feel. And when we are feeling a lot, we're going through a traumatic loss, something like that, you know, um, it's really hard to, to see kind of like above, you know, like to keep our head above water, really to see beyond like our, our suffering in the moment. Um, so I think like, you know, getting the support that you need to like be able to just survive this right now, the thing that's hard about grief is it's something that takes a long time to process but we if we can get through that first immediate just hell of it really i don't have a better word um then you'll be able to actually process the grief but right now you just have to learn how to survive it yeah i i haven't lost anyone to death in a while um well there there are a lot of people on my list i will say i think you know i i one of the things i've been afraid of is losing you know like my parents or some of the other significant relationships in my life and i had a conversation with my therapist a couple of months ago about it and was something something to the effect of like i am afraid that i'm gonna be just a big mess and that it's gonna be hard for me to do things for a much longer period of time than is like normal and she she said this is a surprise me. She's like, well, you know, I mean, I feel like if it was pretty difficult for you to do anything like for a year after one of your parents died, that would make sense. And that shocked me because that seemed like a really long time. You know, I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, when one of my parents dies, I should be able to just like get back on the horse like in two weeks. And uh, for her to be like, no, like a year would be pretty standard. I was like, oh, okay maybe I'm not doing as badly as I thought. Like we tend to judge ourselves pretty harshly on what we think we should be able to do. Um, and so I just wanted to share that with you that, you know, grief takes a lot while to process. And so yeah, it takes a while. And especially, okay. Yeah, especially for those of us who feel things so intensely, like I last week, I think last Friday, uh, my cat, not this one, this old lady doesn't do anything, but the other one uh, caught a bird and I thought the bird wasn't gonna make it. And I, my neighbors are probably very concerned cause I was like on my balcony, like sobbing over a bird. So a favorite person, yeah, that's, that's gonna be really hard. So don't be extra hard on yourself if you're really struggling. Yeah, yeah we got a couple of, speaking of really struggling, we have a couple of, uh, 
messages that got sent in from people who are really struggling. One person said, I've been suffering from BPD for almost seven years now, and I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel anymore. It's a constant cycle of guilt and shame. And then someone else said, going through a really depressive period. I don't want to speak to anyone and don't see a way out. I know the things I need to do to get better, but how do I get myself to do it? Do you want to start with this one? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, I definitely can relate to feeling like things are not going to get better. Um, because I, for those of you who don't know or haven't seen like my intro video on our, our YouTube, I have been, I started therapy when I was 13 and I didn't really enter any kind of meaningful recovery until I was in my early thirties. So I spent, you know, 20 ish years in varying degrees of emotional and mental disarray. So I, I can definitely relate to, you know, having a difficult time for a long time. Um, and I, I can't like sit here and be like, yes, it's going to get better. Like, hold on. But I do, I do genuinely tend to think that it is possible and there are a lot of things you can do uh, to answer like the specific question of getting yourself to do the things um i find this is it's hard because it depends on what's getting in the way like sometimes i it's to me it's like an emotional barrier or or it's like a skill barrier um I'm trying to think of some of the specific things that I was taught. Cause like, like what I generally do in that situation, when I, there's something that I have to do and I really don't feel like doing it, or I've been depressed for a long time. I kind of use, I try to hack myself as much as possible. So like I put myself in situations where it's hard for me not to act. For example, like inviting somebody over to do something with me, even though I really feel like isolating and I really don't want to see anybody. Um, once somebody, once I know somebody's coming over, that can be pretty motivating to me to like at least take a shower and try to look somewhat like a human. Like I know I respond to social pressure. So I use that as a way to get myself to do stuff. Um, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah I mean to the, to the point of like I've been struggling with this for a long time you know I think yeah similarly to Zanny I I didn't get officially diagnosed until I was 20 but I definitely was struggling with BPD before that and I'm 34 now so um you know I've probably struggled with BPD more of my life than I haven't um and I think it's really hard not to feel at times like especially if you're really in that like early stage of like you can't really get your head above water it's really hard not to lose hope um and it's really easy to you know see people who are doing better and be like i there's no way i'm ever gonna get to that point um or you know vice versa to also kind of like what do these people even know you know they don't really know what it's like to struggle because like i met all symptoms all the symptoms for bpd i don't meet any of them anymore um so sometimes i feel like it's it, you know people might see me and feel like it, i don't know what they're talking about um 
I think what's hard is like when we're struggling, we feel like more of a burden than other people. We tend to sort of hear that guilt and shame that's coming up. Um, and so I could talk a lot about this um, since we're in a live video. Just one thing I will say is one thing that I found really helpful when I was like in early recovery uh, is ha finding the, the friends that I could talk to about anything and then the friends that could just be there when I needed like a human being around. Um, and differentiating those two because I found that as someone with VPD, I see other people like for the longest time at least i don't i've kind of worked on this but i would see other people in my life as they need to kind of be a hundred percent all the friend energy that i need um and so like when people didn't know how to show up then i would interpret that as like guilt and shame for me like oh i'm too much or or then i would like split and be like oh they're a terrible friend i can't i you know can't have them in my life and so learning how to have people in my life that literally were just like, hey, like that's a friend that I can take a walk with or, you know, crochet with or whatever. And maybe they can't offer me emotional support, but like I won't be alone for like an hour and a half um, was a huge help for me. And now I like I've learned to have like different variations of friendships. I found that that's helped a lot in my recovery. But um, if you feel like you're not getting the support you need, um, I know it's really hard not to just want to give up, but like there's com communities out there, like you found us, there's like other people, there's, you know, maybe other resources, like a different therapist or support groups or whatever, like don't lose hope, you know, it, it, it's really hard, um, but it's possible. Yeah, and in terms of support groups, there are several um, I can think of like Emotions Matter as one that offers free peer support groups, which can be a helpful place to go. So, um, yeah, definitely check that out. All right. Uh, thinking about the impact of a formal diagnosis and the journey of acceptance, how do you find the balance of leaning into it to get through it and embracing it in, as compared to not becoming it and using it. I mean, it says excusing. I'm assuming, assuming that means using, not using it as an excuse. So finding the balance between accepting your diagnosis and not to the point that you become it and it's like you're, you're excused. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think like the thing about using a diagnosis as an excuse, like I don't, I don't think that, um, get too far with that so I don't think you would even like allow allow yourself to do that because it's not going to feel very rewarding because the thing about people with BPD is we struggle with often like just really intense shame so if I feel shame about the fact that I have BPD and the fact that I do things as a result of my BPD I'm probably not gonna be I think like there's such a stereotype that people with BPD or abusive or whatever, but I think often the opposite is true, that we feel so much shame about the diagnosis that, um, you know, like, we don't really give or cut ourselves slack at all. Um, so I think that, like, what I'm trying to say is, I think that, like, understanding where your behavior comes from, it's okay if, like, you make mistakes um do things like as a result of your bpd like i don't think that you acknowledging that your bpd causes certain behaviors means that you're kind of like you know making excuses for yourself you know 
And like, I think understanding like how to balance that with like, is this really serving me to continue to act like this? Taking the judgment out of it, I think is the thing I'm trying to say. Um, so like whenever I have clients in session who are like, oh, I'm such a horrible person. I'm a monster to people in my life. I'm like, well, let's figure out what that actually means. You know, cause that's the flip side of like making excuses for ourselves is that often what happens in my experience is that more so that people are uh, extra harsh on themselves. Yeah. For me, I look at this and I feel like there's sort of two different parts to this. One of part of it is identity and then part of it is sort of like the excusing part. And so for the identity part, I, I can't say that this happens for everyone, but I have definitely noticed for a lot of people, myself included, there is kind of like this, 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 pa this pattern that occurs where like you discover you have BPD and you start to be able to identify where in your life certain symptoms come up. And then it kind of feels like I am BPD and like, this is, this is my identity. And I like stake myself in this diagnosis. And then as at least for, as, again, at least for me, as I start to go through therapy, I realize that it's, you know, it's not, I am BPD or I'm not. It's like, there are certain things about me that fall into these sort of diagnostic criteria categories. And there are things that don't, and I don't like, I'm not a disorder that doesn't even really make any sense. Like, like there's this, I've, it's odd now looking back to think of there was a time when I really like ident over identified with the diagnosis. And it's like, no, I mean, it's I mean, what even really is BPD. If you, if you get really ex existential about it, it's like, it's kind of a pattern of behaviors that tend to occur together that we have, you know, that psychologists have been able to observe and, and describe, right. It's like, so that's not really a whole personality on its own it's it's just some traits and so i think recognizing that that's really all that it is and it's i'm not a, the disorder there are a lot of other things that make me a unique person outside of that um that helps to not over identify with it i think also realize for me realizing that my emotional sensitivity is not the disordered part like i i frequently say being emotionally sensitive is not a disorder and i don't mean that being emotionally sensitive isn't can't be challenging sometimes but like the disordered part is the inability to like regulate that emotion like having strong feelings is not on its own disordered or problematic i think that's the other thing that helps me and then in terms of excusing it it's like i mean sure like in an argument there have been times where like i'm really dysregulated and i might have said something like well i have bpd so therefore like the implication being you should cut me more slack or something um, but as Lena said, it's like, then afterwards, like, it doesn't get you anywhere. It feels like crap and you're not actually, you can't use something even in an argument as an excuse and have it like actually go anywhere. It doesn't make you feel competent. And so I think it's the more you work on your skills and whatever therapy path you're choosing, it eventually gets easier to use your skills and, and not devolve into arguments like that. Uh, does it get easier with age? Like, does BPD get easier with age? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. Yeah. That, that actually, there's research that shows that um, 
part of why um, people with BPD tend to have such high remission rates is also that we kind of age out of the disorder. Now, that being said, like you can still be older and struggle with BPD if you've never really gotten like treatment or support for it. Um, but it definitely, I mean, I think about where I was 15 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's it's kind of it's yeah, it's a totally different thing. Yeah, it gets I mean, easier. me fifteen years ago, I don't even think. I think a lot of the things that I know and do now, I would have at the time, even if it had been offered to me, I'd have been like, "This is crazy. This is not going to work. My emotions are way too intense for this." Like there was there was a period where I just. I really feel like my emotions were so intense and I was so unable to deal with them that really all I could try to do was survive until the intensity decreased. And I really noticed like in my mid twenties, like, of course there's still like situations that activate emotions, but just sort of like the, the baseline intensity when I was like 25, 26, really did start to get a little bit easier. And then like when I hit in my 30s, it was like, oh, with skills on top of that, I feel like I can really manage this much better now. Let's see. This is a good one. I, I know what I, I, I recognize. I, oh, this is, okay. I'm scared that if I do recover, what will I be? The BPD self is all I've ever known. So the idea of recovery sounds scary because I don't know who I am or what I will be. Mm -hmm. This is such mm -hmm. a great thing to talk about. I, I don't know if I felt this as much with BPD as I have with, I used to have an eating disorder. And I, this is one of the things that I remembered. I was like, how I used to have this thought where it was like, I can't imagine being happy with gaining weight. Like I want, I would want to unalive myself if I was actually happy with that, which doesn't make sense actually now looking back at it because it was like, oh, but if I'm actually happy, like I'd actually be happy with it. If the disordered part is gone, I legitimately won't care. Like it won't. I wouldn't have the feeling that I have now, right? And so I think that's such a wild thing to remember having thought. So that was the first thing I thought when I read your question or your comment, because I was just, that's what that made me think of. And it's it's really wild. I've had this conversation with a bunch of people too, where it's with BPD, it's like, you know, what if my emotions, you know, go aren't as, you know, like what if my emotions go away? I actually did not find that that happened at all, but yeah. anyway, wait <laughs> Yeah, I definitely had that, that fear too. I think part of that comes from like, my life was so ruled by my emotions and my emotions were so intense. I felt like, okay, if I don't have these like really intense emotions or any of this stuff, like I, I can't, I can't even like fathom. It's sort of like, I remember hearing once that like hummingbirds see colors outside of the color spectrum that humans see. Mm -hmm. And when you try to imagine what that is, like you can't, cause like we don't, 
like it's I can't imagine another color because I only see the color spectrum that I see so it's sort of like yeah it's trying to imagine a color that isn't in your color spectrum because this is what you're used to right so like it's really scary to think like, what is this gonna be like? I remember I felt really scared it was gonna be really boring. I was like, I'm just gonna be like an office drone with like a nine to five and I'm just gonna like not feel emotions and I'm gonna be boring. And like, it's it couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, I feel like my life is so much more enjoyable now um, that I'm in recovery. Um, but I think the thing is, is like keeping in mind that it's it's not going to be anything you can imagine at, at, when you're in early recovery because it's like, yeah, you're trying to imagine something you haven't experienced before. So um, it is really scary, and I, I guarantee it's it's going to be worth it. Okay, so there is another question. What is if you have tried and can't seem to get a life worth living, uh, do you just accept it? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I, I would want to know, like, you know, yeah. what is it, what is being, what is having a life worth living? mean to you and what is keeping you from having it like because because having a life worth living is such a uh it's pretty vague right it means something different to to everyone right so i i can't i can't say like oh you should accept not having a life worth living because i i think it's possible for everyone to have a life worth living uh a life that you're happy about might not be something that happens all the time or you know, like happiness is a very fleeting experience, but a life that you experience as like worth living, you know, I'd want to know what that would even mean for you, you know, before I could say like, oh, you should just accept not having it. Yeah. I mean, and I, I guess the thing that I, that occurs to me is like, I, my life is not as like, recovery is not really a static, whatever position you're in, it's not a static one. Like our, our lives are kind of like the average of a dynamic experience, right? So there are, even in functional recovery or, or being in a place where I don't hit the criteria for BPD anymore, like there are still moments that are really hard. And I, in that moment, don't feel like my life is worth living. Um, and I think in those moments, it's like, but I am still alive, which means a life worth living is possible. It's like, it's only not possible if I'm dead because there's nothing that it can be changed about that. But I think, so I think in the moments where it doesn't feel, it's like it can be like there, there's still potential for change and hope for the future. So that's, that's sort of how, what I would, um, uh, say about that. Okay. Can the discussion open to interpersonal relationships and the idea that not identifying emotions and managing responses or unmet needs can lead to not getting the most out of relationships of any kind? Sure. We can open that up. Um, so it sounds like this, somebody has like ideas uh, about this. Um, so let identifying emotions in relationships i guess we can we can 
We can talk about that. What are your What are your thoughts? Me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't know what the question is entirely. Yeah, so. it's, it's just maybe what are the thoughts? So. About yeah. yeah, so uh, ask a question about that, and I'll definitely, yeah. we can definitely talk about it. Uh, so there's a, let's see, questions. Um, I'm trying to figure out, okay, context I have, oh wait. I don't know I if, there's any, the previous if, anybody, if there's any more about, I'm trying to figure out if there's any more about that particular relationships piece. Um. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, here's, let's see. Well, whoever asked the question about the other thing, let us know. We have a, let's see. There's a lot of, there's a lot of comments, but not a lot of questions. Let's see. I feel like such a burden to people who care about me because I see that they are trying to be there for me, but I feel like I keep asking for more and more and more, and it makes me feel horrible to even ask for help. Mm. Well, while we're waiting for whoever asked that whoever had that other thing about relationships to expand on that i guess what i will say is a thought about this is um i think it's this is where i feel like checking the facts is a really important thing because like i feel to me feeling like a burden and actually being you know actually being considered by others to be a burden are two different things and i know that there are people who definitely in my life who definitely did feel burned out by my requests for help because they were not really in a position you know they were not they weren't the person for the job and then i've had other people in my life who wished that i would rely on them more because that was something that felt meaningful and worthwhile to them so at least to that's my thought is that it's in, probably important to differentiate between the, the, the emotional sense of being a burden and what other people actually think, because I don't know, it's hard, hard, but I find it's important for the people I care about, at least to take them at their word. So like if somebody says that they're happy to help and they want me to rely on them, um, unless they tell me explicitly otherwise, like I'm going to choose to believe what they tell me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the thing is, is it's it's a yeah, it's a both in like you're saying, Zanny, like not. Yeah, everybody in your life is going to have different capabilities. I think what makes it hard is we often will like interpret certain behaviors or whatever as like people as people experiencing us as a burden. And it's not it's not even always that people experience us as a burden, but like Zanny said, they might not always have the capacity to show up and, and be there for us. And so like one thing that my therapist said to me in early recovery that really stuck with me is, you know, one time I was like reaching out to her for support and she was like, you know, Lena, I really want to help you through this. And like, I can't be your distress tolerance. I can't like survive this moment for you. So, you know, I want to help you figure out how to do this. And like, at some point you're going to have to do it yourself. And I think like that really stuck with me because um, it helped me realize that like she was saying that because she wants me to to be able to to handle my own emotions and and learn how to do that and that her not showing up for me wasn't because she didn't care or that I was a burden it's because like you know at some point we also have to be able to do these things to some degree on our own right so it's a both and right like you're probably not as much of a burden as you might experience yourself to be and if other people aren't showing up in the way that you need them to um it's not always because they don't care or they do experience you as a burden it's just that other people have their own limits or you know maybe they don't know how to help and so like being able to figure that out on your own will help you so much yeah and i think also, you know, being able to do things for yourself is, is, is an important skill to, you know, like, like you were talking about, Linda, with your example, it's like other people can't feel your feelings for you. So like, I think sometimes it's been valuable for me to take a step back and think, am I going to someone for something that I, that would, I don't want to say that I should be able to do for myself, but that would make me feel more competent and ha like more masterful of my own life if I was doing it for myself. Because sometimes I've definitely over relied on people at times and then it gives me this sense of fear of like, well, you know, what if so-and-so can't answer the phone today? You know, like, what do I do in that moment? And being able to have some skills to get myself through those moments has been really valuable because then I, I just feel better about myself knowing that I don't, you know, I'm, we're humans are social animals. So we still need each other, but not feeling like I have to have somebody for every single difficult moment. Um, gives me a sense of more freedom. Okay. So the expansion on the relationship thing, uh, I had to decide whether to cut ties with my sister. I did. I was going to lead with detached righteous anger and a therapist helped me realize that that will lead to further problems of isolation, anxiety, depression, i.e. the exact opposite of what I needed. I did try a different approach in the end. So maybe to clarify the question, gaining an understanding and processing of my emotions to any given situation makes me doubt that I'm not sabotaging relationships. So what, what's the, I guess, what's the question is, is it how, how do I not doubt this or how do I have, have confidence? Is that, is that what you're mm -hmm. asking? Um, ah, I feel like uh, maybe what I'm understanding is, um, 
I think what can happen, I know like this happened for me where I would just burn bridges with people. I would end a friendship in like a conversation. If someone said like the wrong thing to me, I'd be like, fuck you, you're dead to me. Um, And so after that, um because i i felt like i really lost my trust in myself to be able to sort of distinguish how to just kind of have relationships um and so i'm i don't know if this is what you're talking about but i think what can happen for a lot of us is we kind of lose our ability to detect like what's a relationship that's worth saving or not and if i'm you know taking a step back from a relationship or or you know like whatever that that means I'm sabotaging it. Um, yeah, like, how do I trust myself? Um, yeah, this is where, and I'm, you know, I'm a DBT therapist, and I went through DBT, so all my stuff's gonna link back to DBT, but I think really having that sense of wise mind of like my own, like, sense of like inner intuition or whatever, um, helped me understand that like this isn't just an emotional thing there's a whole list of, there's a there's a backlog of this situation this is why i'm letting this person go and when i'm able to link that to my emotions and my values in a relationship to know that i don't i don't value behaving this way in a relationship so if someone does it to me the same rule applies um that helps me have a better sense of like how to trust myself because i'm i'm linking it to a lot of different pieces not just maybe how i feel or what my you know inner critic is saying like oh you know how can you trust yourself you're you're just sabotaging again if i'm able to link it to my values my feelings like the facts of the situation then it's it's hard to argue with it yeah we actually have an episode the i think it's the first episode of the second half of our third season that's coming out i think on january 3rd it's all about how to trust yourself. So I have highly recommend checking that out when it comes out. Um, but I think it's we're it, it is trusting myself is one of those things that I realize is kind of a balancing act in the sense that I I think I being able to realize that I can't always trust myself in the sense that I don't always have enough information to or you know maybe i'm in a state of being extremely emotional where i'm more in my emotion mind and i'm not able to access my wise mind as easily like i think for me being able to recognize those moments and allow myself the time to think about things um then then when i like there are very, I often have this sense that I have to make a decision or deal with something right away because especially when I'm overcome with intense emotions, it feels urgent. It feels like it has to be solved right now or my life is over, this relationship is over, whatever is over, and you know, I, I don't think I can tolerate that. But more often than not, a situation can allow me to take a step back. Some, you know, sometimes like take a day, take a week you know, especially for really big, important decisions, knowing that, that my emotions sometimes make it harder for me to think through things and giving myself the time and space to really come at it from different angles, sometimes getting a trusted friend's opinion too. Um, then when I go back and like, this is my decision, I can feel pretty confident and strong in whatever it is and that I can trust that decision that I've made because I know 
that I took the time to really explore what I wanted to do. And it wasn't just me reacting in the moment. Oh, um, oh can you talk about any experience of success with schema therapy? I'm exploring it, but it will take a lot of complexity navigating the UK healthcare system as it is still seen as niche. So I don't know Lynn, if you've done schema therapy, I haven't done it personally. Um, but one of our cast members, Raf has done schema therapy. Um, and they talked about it in our, one of our second, in our second season, we did a video about some of the most well-known treatment options for, uh, BPD, including sort of like the self discovery path of like non-therapy self-help kind of things. But, um, schema therapy is interesting because it, as Rob puts it, it, it helps you to kind of identify some of the categories of things that can be an issue for you. I'm trying to remember what some of the things were that were on their list. Um, it's not coming to me. Lana, do you have any thoughts? I'm honestly not very familiar uh, with schema therapy and I, I, I've heard uh, tell that um, finding uh, treatment for BPD in the UK can be kind of challenging. So my, my sympathies for that. Um, you know, I, it sounds like it's, I mean, it's known as like one of the, the treatments for BPD that can be really effective. There is some good research on it. So, you know, that's about all I can offer. I apologize. Yeah, I think one of the things, I can't remember what rough specific schemas were, but, but they said that the, what's helpful about it is, I, I guess I should look up what is the definition of a schema that will help. I can't. I don't have it off the top of my head, um, but essentially it, a representation of a, no, that's not correct. There we go. Uh, there's so many words that are used in a lot of different uh, places. A cognitive structure representing a person's knowledge about some entity or situation, including its qualities and the relationship be between, oh no, I lost it, uh, between these. So schemas are usually abstractions that simplify a person's world. So like being able to identify some of the maladaptive schemas that you have can help you to interpret certain, like the situations in your lives through the lens of like, oh, this is activating my abandonment schema or um, this other thing. And that, right, as I understand it, Again, sorry, this is not like the best answer, but that's Raf said that that helps them because when they know what some of their maladaptive schemas are, it's kind of like they have a map in life for where minds are, like in a minefield, it's kind of like having a map. So you're not always just blindsided. You sort of understand why certain things are activated in specific contexts or why something might bring up a particular emotion that reminds you of your childhood or whatever. Um, so, so, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, 
my fear of abandonment makes me split really badly and that leads to conflicts with the people who care for me my black and white thinking jeopardizes everything good how do i deal with this mm. splitting Ooh. all or nothing thinking that is uh I think, yeah i think that's, that's yeah go for it sorry i think that's one of the the things that can still show up for me but at least i'm able to recognize it um so like you know if uh like for example i shared earlier that i had this uh total just like emotional meltdown on friday because uh my cat attacked a bird and um when i called my my partner like he he was kind of confused what was happening um and so it wasn't as supportive in like the way i i needed him to be and so my immediate i i definitely had a splitting episode it wasn't as bad as it's been in the past now that i'm in recovery it looks more just like oh i like won't talk on the phone or i'll say like you know oh you're not being supportive or whatever and you know, it's not, I don't split to the point of like being like, oh, you're a horrible person or I'm not meant to be with you sort of thing anymore. Um, but I think what, what the, the hard thing to do and the helpful thing to do is that um, when I get into a place where I'm so emotional, that's usually when I start to split um, is when I feel like my emotions are out of control. So I generally try not to make big decisions or evaluations about my life when I'm in an intensely emotional place. Uh, like on Friday, I have my moments where it's, you know, I can lose sight of that to some degree, but I can still like grab it back, right, before it gets out of control. So I think that for me is the the big kicker is being able to say, you know what, I'm I'm really, really in intense emotions right now. I don't think that I can really make a judgment about this person in my life or this whatever right that's that's probably the biggest help for me yeah i think that stopping something like like take you the dbt stop skill of just stop take a step back observe and proceed 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 that's a weird way to say that and then proceeding mindfully I think that is one of the most important things for me in splitting because um, if I, you know, sometimes I convince myself that, you know, this is, I'm being righteous or I'm standing up for myself or like, this is the right thing to do. This is me setting a boundary. And I feel like even when I may be in the right, if I am being, if I sound especially aggressive or I'm like, I'm very high negative energy and I'm kind of directing that at somebody, I had this realization once where I was like, it doesn't actually matter in my value system. It doesn't matter to me most of the time if it's with someone I care about and I want to maintain a relationship with them. It doesn't actually matter if I am justified to be upset, like I don't want to be a person who tries to get their way by being aggressive at my loved ones. Um, and so that realization made it easier for me to engage in the stop skill and get myself to take a step back because it was kind of like, it doesn't matter if I'm right. It just does not matter if I'm justified to be angry. Like I want to communicate in a way that other people are more likely to hear me 
And so that that's helped me not to engage in the like the righteous anger where like I'm justified in just being a jerk right now, you know? Um, I don't always succeed in that. Um, and it's especially difficult when I'm in situations with people that are like not my loved ones, like some rando on the street who's like really nasty. It's hard for me to, it's much harder for me to hold it in because in that moment I feel like I don't care about them that much. Uh, so there's not as much of a, a reason to, to hold it in, but I've, over the years I've gotten better at that as well. It's harder, but, um, yeah, I think that just putting space between the thoughts and the reaction really makes a big difference in not, not splitting with other people anyway. Uh, yeah. And I think like, it's a, it's also what can happen is if we're trying not to split, then we, you know, for a lot of us, we'll just go to the other extreme and invalidate our own emotions, which tends to just make us want to split more. Um, so I think for me, when I'm trying to say like, oh, I'm in an emotional place, maybe it's not a good time for me to have a serious conversation or whatever. Um, I also want to take the time to still like validate what I'm feeling. You know, maybe I'm not wanting to do something about it. Maybe I'm able to recognize like, oh, I'm just really intensely sad right now you know um but still like make space for that you know um because i think we're really uh, those of the bpd tend to be really good at just telling ourselves like stop feeling that, like you're making a big deal out of something or whatever um that usually doesn't help just makes it worse yeah yeah um oh someone the person about the i guess richard said um i'm really grateful to you both for hosting this space it came to me serendipitously and you've given me a real boost and a smile the power of relatability and trustworthy info oh thank Aww. you awesome. um oh somebody said tip the tip skills can be good for i'm assuming this is the like taking a step back during black yeah but sticking my face in a bowl of cold water is one of my favorites Mm-hmm. I love it so much. It really helps me calm down. Totally. Okay. Oh, we have, we have another question. I tend to turn numb towards really horrible situations, but if a tiny thing happens, absolutely irrelevant things will make me explode. How do I deal with this? I'm assuming the, the question is like how to find more of a, a balance there. This is one mm. of those things I can relate to a lot um, where big things will happen and I have a harder time connecting to my emotions and then small stuff I'm like oh, oh like the laundry was still wet or something I forgot to push the start button and I'm just then I'm just like furious because I'm like why how could you to myself how could you Zanny be so dumb like you didn't push the start button what's your problem you know um <laughs> and I think I got frustrated when I had a conversation when I was explaining to my therapist this phenomenon and I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, it's so easy for me to be upset about little things and big things. It's like so much harder sometimes. And she was like, well, it's because it's a big deal. Like if it doesn't really matter that much, then, you know, at least in the moment, having intense emotions about laundry, like it's of little consequence like having you know going through the grief for example of losing someone you really care about like that that feels much more serious that can feel much 
like much more what, what am i saying it's bigger it's, it's it, and it can feel you know sometimes to admit how you feel about more serious things can be scary i know for me i have a hard time because i i feel like admitting my emotions about some of those more intense things make me i believe this myth sometimes that it makes me less capable of handling the situation and so i don't allow myself to feel emotions um for some situations sometimes i try to like hold it together because oh no if you let this out like it will never stop and you'll just be this giant mess on the floor and no one's gonna want to deal with that you know so uh i don't know for me being able like practicing self-compassion and non-judgment <laughs> and giving myself the space to feel those emotions around serious things helps me to process and move on and then the little things because i feel like for me one of the things that happens is i i end up dumping my emotions about more serious things on non-serious things because it again it just feels feels like it's a little consequence i can just dump it here and it's not a big deal um but then i'm not really attaching the significance to the thing i'm actually upset about um and then of course i get confused about my sense of reality and my connection to the world around me so yeah that's those are my my two cents about that what about you I mean, yeah, I would say you hit the nail on the head. I, I would also say like, you know, again, this is where, yeah, like you said, that self-compassion comes in because if I, you know, I'm, I'm here, even hearing some judgment, there's some self-judgment in the question of, you know, oh, I get upset about irrelevant things. And, you know, I like to think of like treating myself as I would like a little toddler, you know, um, this is like actually a dbt trick is like to to think like if you were standing in front of a, a toddler who was upset about something most likely you know if they were somebody i cared about especially i probably wouldn't be like what are you crying about you're making a big deal out of nothing right so like treating myself with that same self-compassion that like, in the moment uh stubbing my toe is maybe not in like the grand scheme of the universe probably not the biggest problem anyone's ever experienced and probably something i can get over and in the moment as for, we've all probably stubbed our toe it's horrible right so like the more we're oh, able to yeah the more we're also able just to be like oh god like i that hurt right? Practice that self-compassion just to say like, man, that hurt and it hurts and other people going through this would hurt also. Um, like the easier it is to move on from stuff because we're not also piling on the like shame about having a reaction to something. Yeah. Somebody mentioned using mindfulness when doing the dishes because, because I hate it. So breathing, focus, intention, sensation, naming, and that made me, for some reason, that made me think of, um, there's, a, there's a lot of, a lot of the questions and a lot of the situations that have been brought up have been, you know, like in the midst of intense interpersonal situations or, you know, using skills in moments that are really, really big. And I think one of the most helpful things for me was, was when my therapist said to me, you, you have to practice these things 
in low, like low risk, low emotion situations, if you're gonna use them in these intense situations, because I would always wait until the moments when I felt like I needed to use skills to start trying to apply them. And the best analogy I can come up with is, I mean, that that would be like trying to go play a professional sport, like to practice it. Like I'm gonna go play professional baseball and that's how, I'm, no, you like you practice, you know, when before you're in a game to learn the, the skills, right? And so, I think that's one of the things that's really made a big difference is, is, you know, doing mindfulness on the dishes. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a thing where I am going to be highly emotional about it. Like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of dishes either. So, you know, I'm going to be like, uh, okay. But that's a place where I'm, because for me, most of the emotionally activating situations are with other people. I'm not, I'm probably not going to have like some deeply problematic reaction to doing the dishes. Um, yeah. I'm fortunate maybe that, uh, I do the laundry. My partner does the dishes. So <laughs> when I wash dishes, it's very rare. Uh, so I don't hate it as much, but yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, like a mental rehearsal for a potential trigger. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're saying coping ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's another, I mean, that's basically what this is, right? It's, um, yeah, making a plan. And so, you know, I guess that would just be my general advice to anyone who's watching this, who is, you know, dealing with a lot of really intense situations, try to identify sort of lower tickets items or, or moments in, in your life where you could practice some of these skills where it's not hard to practice because it's not intensely emotionally activating. Um, and it, I, it's hard because it can feel silly sometimes to be like, oh, I'm not going through an intensely emotional situation, but I'm going to go practice the ice water skill and stick my face in a bowl of cold water. It's just, it's sort of like, why would I do that to myself? Right. But our bodies remember you know, a lot of the actions that we take and what wires together, what fires together, wires together, like the things that you associate and the more you practice, the more it becomes second nature. And then eventually you get to the point where even in intense situations, you can act on your skills automatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So much. Thank you for helping me understand these things by answering all my questions. I really needed to hear it all today. I hope you both the best in the best healing journey and a beautiful life. Truly, thank you. Oh, oh. thank you. Thank you for thank being you, here. Thank you, everyone, so much. Do you have any last parting thoughts? Um, no. Oh, I hope that folks got something out of this. Um, hope that it was useful. Yeah. It's been well, great talking to you. All. I know these lives are always so funny. I don't ever do lives because I'm, I know it feels funny. It feels like I want to actually like talk to people, but I appreciate folks for typing and us talking conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, everyone is a little bit different. There's like a totally different culture every time. So it's, it's kind of, it's nice. It's fun. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone so much for watching.
this is the last of our scheduled holiday lives. We may throw in another impromptu one here or there. You'll, you'll see. We're going to be back with the second half of the third season of the BPD Bunch on January 3rd. So definitely come check that out, and we will see you then. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So, bye.